your Bibles, open up, if you would, to Luke chapter 8. We're going to dive in this tonight. We want to talk about living a life of significance, living a life of significance. So we'll read some scriptures tonight, and then I want to take a little time at the end tonight and pray together. And uh, how many just would believe that there are people that the Lord wants to see saved in our area? Amen. How many would believe there are people that God wants to add to the church? Amen. The church in general, but also to Solid Rock Face Center. Right here, there's people that the Lord wants to see added to the church right here. And uh, to be a part of what He's doing, that have gifts and abilities that connect with us and would have a common interest together. But that happens uh, through people. The kingdom has always expanded through people. Everything God does in the earth, He does through people. And uh, so when we understand that, then we begin to make ourselves available. And uh, Sunday morning, we talked about that a little bit on how the Word, it gets deposited inside of us. And we become pregnant with that life of God's Word. We allow that life to develop in us. And uh, so this morning, we want to take that a little bit further and just talk about this evening about living a life of significance for God. And really see how the Lord does something. I think a lot of times we kind of talk our things out of being used by God or allow the devil to talk us out of being used by God in areas. And so we can uh, kind of put the kibosh on that tonight. Amen? So Luke chapter 8, in beginning in verse 26, <clears throat> it says, <clears throat> excuse me, and then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when they stepped out of the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tomb. Excuse me. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him. And with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had, speaking of Jesus, had commanded the unclean spirits to come out of the man, for it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demons into the wilderness. Verse 30, and Jesus asked him, saying, what is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now, a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain, and they begged him that he would permit them to enter them, and he permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the the steep place into the lake and drowned. When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Somebody say, praise the Lord. So there he is. And they were afraid. That's kind of weird. They're not afraid of the guy naked and demon possessed, but they're afraid of him being clothed and in his right mind. Anyway, verse 36. They also, who had seen it, told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed or delivered. And the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear, and he got into the boat and returned. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him 
that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying. How that seems kind of impersonal, doesn't it? Here you just get this guy delivered. Here he's been, you know, uh, tormented all these years. You get him delivered. He's in his right mind. And you think the Lord would want to take him alongside, maybe mentor him a little bit, disciple him a little bit. But look what Jesus says. Jesus forbid him. In verse 39, he said, And return to your house and tell what great things to God that God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Father, we thank you. For your word, we thank you that it is your will that every one of us would be completely delivered from any areas of bondage, any strongholds, any areas from our path, any type of grip, any type of influence that the enemy would have over anybody's life. Lord, it is your will that we would be completely set free in our right minds, clarity of understanding and insight, able to perceive and comprehend the truth of your word, and clothed and equipped to be a witness for you. We pray, Father, tonight that by your Holy Spirit you would quicken and empower each each one of us, to believe to see that we can live a life of significance for your glory in Jesus' name. And somebody said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So look at the cover of your outline. And Mark chapter 6 gives us the same account. And, uh, but what Mark 6 says, it's referenced there in your Bible in verse Mark 6, 50, uh, in your outline, verse 53 through 56. It talks about when Jesus came back in the region. Here in verse 40, it says that when Jesus returned, that the multitude welcomed him. So they drove him away, but he went back. Amen. And he went back later, and Mark 6 gives the account of him going back to the region of the ten cities, which just was in Decapolis there. And it says, people from all the region came out because of this one man's testimony and came out and received through what he did. So let me ask you this question. What if there was a way for you to do more with your life? What if you found out that you actually have enough in your hand right now to live a life of significance? See, we think, I need more money, I need more resources, I need to study more, I need to prepare more, I, you know, whatever it is, we always think we have more before we could do more. But what if there was a fail-proof way to secure your life, your money, and your time from the devil and his devices to destroy them? Anybody think that might be possible? There could be a fail-proof way to do it? Well, I believe this. I believe the only way to devil-proof your life is to live for something greater than yourself and to keep your focus on someone other than yourself. Amen. Thinking about somebody other than yourself. What did Jesus do for this young man? Here he is there. He says, Lord, I just want to go with you. I want to be with you. And the Lord says, no, you need to go tell other people what great things God has done for you. He didn't let him become inter-focused. He made him be outward-focused. Amen? You need to understand. Go with me to James chapter 1. We'll read a few scriptures tonight and just take our time for a few minutes and then we'll pray together. James chapter 1. is already, I always believe we give the devil too much credit, but we need to understand that he's an adversary just as well. Amen? James chapter 1 verses 13 through 16 says this, let no one say when he is tempted, 
I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. Amen. There's a difference between being tempted and being tested. We go through the trial of our faith. God puts our faith to the test. He, he proves us in walking by faith. God wants us to walk by faith. But He doesn't tempt us with evil to test our faith. Are you with me? Two, two totally different things. Have to get that straight. So, He is not temptable, nor is he to be, nor does he tempt us. But each one, look at verse 14, is tempted when he is drawn away by his what? Own desires and enticed. Now this is interesting. Remember Sunday morning I talked about conception and receiving the seed? Look, look at what James says here. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, Brings forth death. Wow. So life, you and I are to be born again with the life of God. To have new life on the inside of us. But yet sin works the same way. Seeds are sown. And those desires, those thoughts, those words, those things we listen to. Those things get planted in our heart. We allow those things to be planted. And they're conceived in us the same way the life of God is. And then verse 16 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved Brethren, and so in that area we see that there's a we don't want to be deceived, but we're drawn away by our own lust. Genesis three and verse six. That's what the devil said to Adam and Eve. Said, "Hey, look at the tree. Isn't pleasant to the eye? It'll make you wise. It'll make you like God." So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, causing them to think about themselves and what it would add to themselves, was a temptation that he used. So look at this statement. Every temptation that the devil brings is connected to you thinking about you. Temptation is always connected to you thinking about you and how that would make you feel. And so the way to devil-proof your life is make sure you're thinking about others more than you're thinking about yourself. Now, that's not common in our world today. That's not popular today. But that's a biblical truth. See, the devil is the master of confinement and restriction in our life. He knows full well that God has purpose for every life. And that that purpose is connected to destroying his influence and reign in the earth. The devil knows that God's purpose for your life is to do destruction to his kingdom. And so he doesn't want that. He wants you confined and he wants you restricted. See, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, to set captives free, and to release us to our purpose and potential in him. Go with me to 1 John. You're there in James. You go a few pages over. But 1 John chapter 3, right after 2 Peter, and verse 8, says this about the Lord. First John chapter 3 and verse 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. But for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And as we're talking about Sunday morning, look at this again. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. So our spirit are free from the influence of sin. So we need to learn how to live inside-minded and how to live out of that significance of the life of God within us. Can you say amen? Go with me to Acts chapter 10. Look at this. Acts chapter 10. 
And Jesus at Cornelius' house, testifying to the Lord just before the Holy Spirit falls, everybody gets saved. But he explains it this way in verse 38 about Jesus, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So think about that. The devil is the confiner. He is the restrictor. He is the oppressor. When Jesus healed the woman in the synagogue in Luke 13, he goes, this woman has a right to be healed, seeing that Satan has bound her restricted her, confined her for these 18 years with this infirmity. Amen? So look inside your outline. I believe this. I believe it's past time for us to be free and in our right minds. I had some other areas I was going to share tonight, but just didn't tie in. I went back, was reading uh, some A.W. Tozier and some T. Austin Sparks. And uh, years ago, uh, Leonard Ravenhill put together a book called The Refiner's Fire. And it was awesome. But he went back and it was an accumulation of sermon by a lot of, of old-time revivalists and preachers and stuff and great stuff. And T. Austin Sparks was a, was a great guy, an evangelist in that, and uh, wrote some cool stuff. And, uh, but it, I didn't want to overload everything. I have a tendency to overload. So I was being nice to you tonight. Praise the Lord. So I believe it's time for us to be free and in our right minds because Jesus comes to meet us where we are, break the yokes of bondage off of our lives, and send us out to fulfill our God-ordained purpose. <clears throat> so look at what just happened. Jesus comes to the region of the gathering. He meets this young man where he is. He delivers him, sets him free, and then he doesn't allow him just to get caught up in his own life. He sends him out to where he was. So he meets him where he was, delivers him, and then sends him out to fulfill his God-ordained purpose. The man in the tombs was in a place of restriction. His life was out of his control. And I just think there's too many people who live there today. Maybe not you, but what, what should be our motivation? Somebody has to tell them. Somewhere they have to hear. And anytime God has set us free, there's nothing more powerful than our testimony. Then you sharing with somebody else what God has done for you. The most powerful thing that could be done was for this young man to go tell others how the Lord had set them free. See, it's too easy for us today to overlook the controlling influence of the enemy that keeps us confined and living in the tombs of this world. Think about that. The devil is the master of deception and discouragement, disillusionment and despair. He's a master of replaying the video of your past in your mind and telling you that before you got saved, you had all these mistakes, all these failures, or even after you've got saved. I think I've made more mistakes since I've been saved than I did before I got saved. Well, because I've been saved longer than I was unsaved. <clears throat> and so mistakes are just, just happen. We all make them. Do I have any friends? Anybody in here mistake-free? I need you to lay hands on me. <laughs> Hallelujah. But we make them. But when, when that happened, he uses that. He uses every mistake for discouragement. But thank God, God's a God of forgiveness and restoration. God wants you to fulfill your potential. How I many know God never gives up on us? He never gives up on us. So... The devil is the master of that. He keeps people bound by their path, lost in their present, and cut off from their future. 
That's what he wants. He, he wants you not having any purpose, just being lost in your present because of the bondage of your past, replaying your past, replaying your mistake, holding you in guilt, keeping you under condemnation, and then we just wander around lost. No purpose, no direction, no specific intention, just being cut off from the future. Jesus comes to the place where we're being held in bondage. He meets us at the point of our need. He brings deliverance and healing and restoration to our life, just like he did with that young man. He does a complete work that is evident and can be seen by others. When we're letting God do his work in us, other people notice changes taking place. Amen. First person to notice it will be your dog or your cat. Amen. You know you're saved when your animals know it. Amen. Hallelujah. So, but even in that, people around you know they see a difference in you. Why? Because he delivers, he heals, he restores. But then look at this. Then he sends us. He sent that every time. Jesus, look at the Bible says that Jesus called his disciples to him and they were with him. But then he would send them out. And that's the thing that, that's happening to the church today. And I really believe for us and our church in this season and everything we're about and recalibrating, restructuring, remodeling is that we need to change the mentality of our church that we are a sent people. We, we are not a congregating people. We come together. But when we come together, the purpose of coming together is to get fired up, to get ministered to. If we need to be healed, if we need to be set free, if we need to be encouraged, if we need to be equipped, we get that. But then we go out and we're sent out with the gospel. Amen? It's kind of interesting. We had these boxes back there and I found them. We, I, I had Eli dig them out and I said, well, they have these prayer books in there. We need to... Uh, to get these out and we'll give one to every visitor. In fact, there's a bunch of them. We'll start giving them to all of our guests until we give them all away and that. But uh, this first chapter on prayer, it says unlocking the, mirac the, unlocking the miraculous through faith and prayer. And the first chapter is this. It says, disturb us, O Lord. And 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walked about seeking whom he may devour. The devil just looks for opportunity. Hey Ben, I said it a few weeks ago, he looks for soft targets. A soft target is a Christian who doesn't take it serious. That's a soft target. If you're not being, be sober and be vigilant. Be on your guard, be armed, be ready. So, but he's talking about here about uh, the danger that there is a serious danger, a lethal enemy, and that enemy is complacency. Let me just read you just a, a little bit out of the, this is a real short chapter. Let me just read a little bit. It says, complacency is one of the most dangerous enemy of the believer because it is so easy to fall into. And like a vivid dream, it is very difficult to detect in our own lives before we are rudely awakened. God is so faithful to us in his mercy, but it is easy to take his faithfulness for granted in good times and confuse presumption for faith. Someone once said, complacency is a blight that saps energy, dulls attitude, causes a drain on the brain. I like that. It says the first symptom of complacency is satisfaction with things the way they are. I'm not satisfied with things the way they are. If you're satisfied, you're complacent. Amen. I really am your friend. Hallelujah. 
The second symptom is rejection of things the way they might be. I'm satisfied with things they are, and I reject anything changing or things the way they might be. Good enough becomes today's watchword and tomorrow's standard. Complacency makes people fear the unknown, mistrust the untried, and abhor the new. Wow. That's awesome. See, in nations and individuals and families and businesses, complacency has the same effect. Get this. It is the enemy's victory and the ally of defeat. Complacency is the enemy's victory and it is the ally of defeat. So what do I have to do? I must continually remind myself that my sense of security is just an illusion. We get secure in just going about our most thing and everything is all right. And so he's talking about prayer and the need to press in and to pray. He says this, I find that the more secure we feel, the more danger we are in because it is in comfort that we can so easily forget our utter need for God. Amen. We need God. Yes, it's true. We're filled with God and we declare our confession and everything, but we always need the Lord. Amen. And so the, the disturbance, O Lord, comes from the prayer of Sir Francis Drake in 1577. This was his prayer that he wrote. He said, disturb us, Lord, for we are too pleased with ourselves. When our dreams have come true, because we dream too little. When we arrive safely, because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, O Lord. When with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. Wow. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Wow, what a great thought. Amen? Hallelujah. So he just said, disturb us, O Lord. Amen. And so we hear a lot today in the church about revival and people praying for revival. We want revival. We want revival. But we forget that revival means I like this. To be revived is to be shaken out of a state of slumber. To be jolted out of apathetic complacency. To be alarmed, awakened, and straightened. Amen. And so everybody says, we want revival because we think, we think it's going to be a party. But to be revived, we have to be awake. It means to be awakened. To revive something means to breathe life back into something that was about to expire. Amen? And so I hear people, especially in, in our younger culture and all that, well, we want a revival, we want a revival. Well, when I say I want a revival, I'm, it's like asking for CPR. It's like saying, it's like somebody called 911, I need to be revived. It's like pushing the button, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. That's really what the church is saying. Help, we're down and we need to get back up. Somebody, help, Holy Spirit, come, revive us, get us back up, get us going out again. Break, break awakening out of complacency. So it's possible that a person can be so transformed by the saving grace of God that he can have, is it, let me ask you this, is it possible that a person can be so transformed by the saving grace of God that he can have an influence on an entire region just like this man did. Is that possible? Yes, you can. 
If just a couple of us in this room, if just a few of us believe, wait a minute, we can have an impact on this region. Listen to what it said. I'm going to go back and read it again. Luke chapter 8 and verse 40. Look at what it says. That's so powerful. Thirty-nine and forty, and he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. The he he did such a good job that when Jesus came back, everybody was waiting. People couldn't wait for Jesus to come back. So what does that mean? Does that mean he went out and preached on every street corner? Was he a street preacher to do that? I just believe everywhere he went, if somebody would give him a chance, he would say, hey. And I think about him, he, he, he already had a reputation. I was thinking about that. Man, if you had his testimony, what a great way to witness to people. Because you could start out with like, hey, did you ever hear about that crazy guy that used to live in the tombs up there on the hill? They go, Yeah. We heard that guy was something else. Yeah, I heard that too. He was like crazy. They would chain him. He ran around naked all the time. Everybody was afraid of him and everything. But, but did, did you hear about what happened that one day? No, what happened? Well, there was a day that this guy named Jesus came over in a boat. And he met that guy. And he prayed for him and commanded those demons that were controlling his life to leave his life. And he was completely delivered. And separate. No, that can't be. Yes, it is. I'm that guy. Yeah. Amen. And so there's a way that you can share your testimony. That you can go back and talk about where God delivered you from and tell somebody. Because there's people that need to hear that God is a saving, healing, delivering God. It can happen in a grocery store. It can happen on your job. You heard me talking about witness to the guy at Bass Pro Shop. He's trying to sell me a timeshare. I tried to sell him heaven. Amen. And so, but uh, what I mean is that there, there's just a way. And so he's talking about doing this and gambling, doing everything else. I just told him he was a terrible gambler because he was gambling away eternity. Amen. And so against all the odds. Uh, but so God will use you if you'll allow him. So answer these questions. What if we lost the pride and the excuse and just came and fell at his feet and worshiped him? That's what this guy did. What if we no longer bought into the acceptable limitations that the devil has sown into the church? I believe that, that those are things that have. We, we've accepted certain limitations. And they don't come from the word of God. God, uh, who was uh, uh, Brenda was talking about, I believe, the other day, that we're talking about God's a limitless God. And taking the limits off of God. God is a limitless God. Amen. And so we need to take the limits off of God. But we've allowed the devil to put limits on our life. Well, I'm not able. I don't, look at that. I want you to get there. This guy goes from just a few minutes in, in just one few hours in the afternoon being completely tormented by legions of devils to being in his right mind and then being sent by the Lord to preach the gospel and then doing it and being successful at it. Amen. Nobody told him he couldn't. There weren't any religious people around to talk him out of being used by God. Amen? So, watch it. What if we allowed Christ to so transform our lives 
that it became evident to those around us? What if we found the courage and the boldness to leave the tombs and began to tell others what Christ has done for us? What if we became tired of being bound by our past, lost in our present, and robbed of our future? Think about it. See, the one who lifts the burdens and destroys the yoke is in the house tonight. Would you agree? Come on, Jesus is here to set us free. Think about it. Our neighbors are in desperate need of love and a helping hand. It's my belief that the world needs God's love and we are sent to tell them. Go with me to Romans chapter 10. So I say, we're supposed to pray, but then after you pray, because people remember, what if all Jesus did was just pray? I hear a lot of people, and and we're supposed to intercede. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. He's interceding for us right now. But while he's praying for us, he expects us to be his body in the earth. Amen? He expects us to be about his father. While he was here, he was about his father's business. He came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't just come to pray. He said the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And the commission on the disciples is to go. Every every time Jesus called, he he sent this young man man out. He sent his disciples out. The last commission that he gave to everybody was to go into all the world. And so what happened in Jerusalem, the church of Jerusalem started to grow. They began to be complacent. So in Acts chapter 12, God brings persecution. Persecution shows up, and the church is scattered. Now they can't hang out. Now they got to go preach. And now they've been dis- up, disrupted from their social groups. They can't just hang out at church with their friends. Their church has been disbanded. Now they got to go make new friends. So the way they did that, they went everywhere and preached the gospel everywhere. Are you doing all right? Sometimes you need to move out of your social group. I'll challenge you this Sunday. This Sunday, don't talk to anybody you know. Start making Sunday. Every Sunday, I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'll say, hi, good to see you. Amen. Treat the people you know like strangers and go treat strangers like your best friends. That'd be good, wouldn't it? We just did that. Say, wait a minute. I already know all these people. How was it? Oh, oh, your week was just like last week. I've heard that story now for 14 years. All right, God bless you. I mean, I'll talk to somebody who's got a new story. Maybe somebody's got something interesting going on in their life. You're boring. Amen. But, but go find somebody new. Go talk to somebody you've never talked to before. There's people all the time, all over this place. There, there are people who don't know how to talk to people. There are people afraid to talk to people. Go talk to those people. Those people come in and just sit down. Amen. Just figure, well, they're sitting there. They're in the house. They're here. They're fair game. Amen. And just go engage with people and doing that. And, and the great thing about that here, it's a great way to push yourself out of your comfort zone. The reason we don't get out of our cliques is because we become complacent. And we're comfortable. We're too uncomfortable to go talk to somebody we don't know. All right, don't shout me down when I'm preaching real good. I'm trying to start a revival. How do you get a revival? You have to bring new souls into the kingdom. How are we going to do that? Somebody's going to have to tell them. Romans chapter 10 says this. Romans chapter 10 says this. It says verse 13, start there. For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How say they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So the people, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Yes, amen. All right, well, how can they call on him in whom they haven't believed? How can they believe on him in whom they've never heard of? 
And how can they hear without somebody tells them? And so it says, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? Verse 15, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Hallelujah. And so Paul goes, well, they haven't all obeyed. And when they won't do it, Jesus said it like this. He said, go preach the gospel. If they don't receive you, shake the dust off and go tell somebody else. Come on. There's 7 billion people on planet Earth. Amen. 7 billion people on this planet. Amen. There's thousands of people in El Dorado County all around it. And so just because the people, this is, this is the biggest lie of the devil. Every time I preach on soul winning like this, I touch on it. We are so caught up in getting the people saved that we want the Lord to save. We have our favorites. And until God, save us, my, until God saves my kids, I'm not going to lead anybody else to the Lord. Well, God bless your stinking self. Amen. Come on, go and reach people for the Lord. Amen. You might not be sent to your kids, somebody else. Somebody else led all my kids to the Lord. Amen. A minister to them. But, we're, well, God, I'm praying for my family. I'm praying. I want the Lord to save my family. I want the Lord. That is so selfish. I'm just trying to be nice, but that, we just get so selfish and so self-centered and self-focused. And then we get discouraged because we're not seeing any change in our family. Go get somebody else saved and get excited. You'll believe your kids will get saved. Or doing all right. Somebody say, I love you, Pastor Don. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, watch it. So, we have to go tell them. And so, we're sent to tell them. But there's so many people, man, if they don't hear, just go ahead and move on to somebody else. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So, our neighbors are desperate, in desperate need of love and a helping hand. And it's my belief that the world needs God's love and we are sent to tell them. You were created to do something great, not to live in the tombs of this world, yoked with the bondage of the devil's lies. And I want you to think about that. If we're not going, we have to ask ourselves, if I'm not telling anybody about Jesus, why? Why don't I tell? What lie am I believing? That I can't? That I'm not able? God not tell. The Lord told this guy, the guy, the guy barely knew Jesus' name. He didn't, even, he didn't even have a Bible. He didn't even have one memory verse. He didn't have a gospel track. Amen. He didn't have anything. All he had was an experience with God. Well, let me put you like this. If your experience isn't excited enough, it isn't exciting enough to tell somebody about, press in and get a new one. Believe God for a miracle. Get a testimony. Do something. Are we doing all right? Amen. See, Jesus came and identified with our brokenness, our wounds. And affliction that he might heal and restore us to real life and then send us to tell others. All I'm telling you is just over and over exactly what he did for this young man. See, the Apostle Paul at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7, he said, I finished my course. He wrote 2 Timothy from prison in Rome. From the house that he had there for those two years. In prison there, waiting to be put to death. And having said that, he handed the ministry over to Timothy and walked to the executioner's block, was beheaded, and there received, relieved of his duties and was promoted to his reward in heaven. Yet his impact is now greater than ever. Amen. 
People say, well, I have to come up with the word to preach. Come on, every, every preacher you've ever heard is preaching from the same book. Hopefully. <laughs> some, of them, some of them are making stuff up. But they were preaching. But that's why people go, but I don't want to. That's why I was like preachers. All my sermons are copyrighted. Well, where'd you get them? Out of the Bible? Oh, I get that. I see. Hallelujah. All my books are copyrighted. What are you writing about the Bible? Well, God bless you. Amen. I said, I'm glad they're copyrighted because I believe in the right to copy. Glory to God. Some of you guys get that later. Amen. So watch that. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. That's what Pastor Casey used to say. He said, is your stuff copyrighted? He said, yes. Everybody has the right to copy anything I say and write. Those guys are republishing my sermons. Where'd you get your sermon from the Bible? Oh, so it's your, you made that up. Huh? Hallelujah. That's like Paul saying, all my letters are copyrighted. Don't share them with anybody. <laughs> I tried not to be sarcastic once, but it didn't work. Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to read the whole thing to you out of the Message Bible, so thank you for letting me get there. The Message Bible, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12 in the Message Bible says, It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, He had His eyes on us. Let's listen to this. He had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. God is working his purpose through our life. He had glorious design set upon us. Here it again. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eyes on us. I just like the way that says that. Amen? So the Amplified says it like this. Amplified Bible. What's the Amplified Bible? It's the loud version. Amen. Amplified verse that. In him also we have received an inheritance, a destiny. Listen to this. We were claimed by God as his own, having been predestined, chosen, appointed beforehand according to the purpose of of him who works everything in agreement with the counsel and design of his will. So God, everything God does in our life, he planned before. And what's amazing, when we just get in agreement that God has a plan for my life. And when I talked about Sunday morning about the word became and becoming. If I just agree to become what he ordained for me to be. I don't have to be like anybody else. I don't have to try to emulate anybody else or pattern myself after anybody else. Wait, God had a plan and he has something that he ordained for me to become and that's in me. He puts that in me and I believe to see that come to pass. Amen? So what kind of living is glorious living? I believe it is living with impact. Not just making a living, but making a difference. 
And I always try to encourage you with this. When I got saved, I was divorced. I got saved by going through a divorce, failing, losing everything that meant anything to me. I, I just want to say, God, I just need some help for the rest of my life. If I'm going to get past 25, I need help. Hey, Amen. And I say, God, I'll, I'll live for you and serve you the rest of my life. Whatever you want me to do, I will do that. And out of that, I just began seeking God, studying, preparing to be used by God, going to Bible school and just preparing. I had no designs on anything. I never said, I want to be this. I want to do that. I've never said that. I've never tried to plan everything, anything in being used by God. And now that I graduate from Bible school, somebody says, hey, would you come be on staff with us? I said, Sue, this guy wants us to go to Bernie, be on staff. Let's pray about it. So we pray about it. Next thing you know, we're in Bernie. We're in Bernie there for a little over two years, just about two years, not quite two years. And the church goes through pastoral change and all kinds of mess and everything else. And we're just on staff there. I quit. So we're hanging around trying to figure out what to do. A new pastor comes in. That pastor takes me out to breakfast. He says, have you ever thought about going into these outlying regions on a Wednesday morning? He says, have you ever thought about going about in some of these outlying regions and, and planting a Pentecostal work where there's never been one? I said, I've never had that thought. He said, you should have that thought. I said, are you trying to get rid of me? Because, yeah, you need to think about going out, getting out of here, leaving. I go, man, that's kind of rude. I'm glad you bought me coffee to say that, but, you know, that's kind of rude. Amen. I'm, th I'm thinking that. Amen. And so that's Wednesday morning. So I go to church Wednesday night. Wednesday night after church, we walk into another restaurant to have pie and coffee, and two couples are sitting there who would come down from Bieber to Bernie to go to church there when the weather was good. And they go, Brother Pritchard, Brother Pritchard. They call me over their table, and, and, and so I go sit down and talk to them, the Mulholland's and the Jameson. And they go, Hey, our pastor just resigned. You should come be our pastor. And so that morning, I had a guy said, Get out of here. That evening, I had two families say, Come over here. I didn't even know what I was doing. I was still upset from the coffee. <laughs> Amen. And then I told Sue, I said, man, I'm going to go check this place out, look it over and do all that. I, it was where I would go deer hunting and that. And so, in fact, if you go in my hallway, one buck from over there is in there. And so, <laughs> actually two of them are in there. And so, uh, but uh, we're, I, I go check it out. I say, honey, I think God wants us to go there. And she was a little stretch of being in Bernie because Bernie had like barely, at that time, barely had 3,000 people in it. And Bieber had 500 people in it. I said, honey, I think God's calling us to Bieber. Bieber's 90 miles from Reading, 90 miles from Klamath Falls. Hey, man, you're, you're, you're stuck in the middle of nowhere. Hey, man, you had to drive, Bernie was 50 miles away. She had to drive to Bernie just to get a decent grocery store. Hey, man, when, when Austin was born, we bought baby food. How many know baby food lasts a long time? We bought baby food at the store in Bieber, and it was expired. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we would go to Bernie to shop. <laughs> Amen. But there we are doing that and doing all this. Uh, and, and then we're going through transition, and, and, and uh, well, God's stirring things in us while we're in Bieber there. And so I'm down. I'm talking to our superintendent at that time, Pentecostal Church of God, B.J. Stanridge. We're in his office. I'm talking to that. I don't know what to do. I'm just praying about what to do. And he goes, have you ever thought about going up in the foothills and planting a church in the Cameron Park area, Eldor County area up there? I said, no, I've ever had that thought. He said, you ought to think about going. So here I am again. How many know what I'm saying? So in being, God has a design upon your life. And think, well, here I get there. We want to work everything out. We're planning everything, and we're missing out on a glorious life, but because we're trying to orchestrate something and do something great for God, and God's already assigned greatness to your life. 
He's already has the plan already formulated in your life. I remember telling my testimony to Sean Smith. Sean goes, that's amazing. You ought to, you ought to write that down. And that, but just, because people need to understand. Then I meet people, well, I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I said, I've never had a thought about doing anything. As people come up and say, have you ever thought about this? I said, no, I never thought about that. Next thing you know, I'm doing that. Amen. I didn't plan on building the Lord's Gym here with Doug. Doug called me up one day. and goes, hey, Don, we're launching a Lord's Gym. You ought to build one up there. Well, I never thought about that. Okay, maybe we'll do that. So this year we celebrate 12 years having a Lord's Gym. Amen. I found out I do better if I don't think. <laughs> Doing all right. What am I talking? I'm talking about that God, where you would have a glorious life. I am amazed of what God's allowed me to do anything. If I go back and look at who I was when I got saved and what God has allowed me to do by not putting any of my own designs upon it. By me not trying to design and figure it out or have any selfish ambition or seeking of my own, God has opened amazing doors and made things happen. Amen? So watch this. Not just to make a living, but making a difference. What does that mean? I want you to hear me. God has given you a gift. Every one of you, God's given you a gift. If you'll just believe in it and then seek to discover it, develop it, cherish it, use it, and give it away. This is what Ephesians 5, look at the ministry gift. And God gave gifts to men. I read that around. People turn that all around. Oh yes, I have the gift, I am a gift. No, no, God gave you to people. God gives ministry to people. He puts ministry in people, and then he gives them as a gift to people. Amen. We flipped that all around and, and, and twisted that around through modern church culture and that. But the gift is to be given away. So God gives you a gift. You believe in it. You discover it. You develop your church. You use it, and you give it away. That's glorious living. Amen. That's glorious living. Hallelujah. I'm sure Eve and, and Tim were excited. A little, little Kate, young uh, Caleb Wampler here a couple weeks ago, pre last week, two weeks ago, preaching. Her young boy, just 28 years old, believing to go to the nations and preach the gospel to nations and stuff, believing God for miracles, believing to see things happening and seeing miracles, seeing here. Come on. He just living a glorious life. Amen? Now, let me ask you, what's the difference between him and you? Huh? Nothing. There's not a thing other than he believes to see it. He's just crazy enough to believe God will use him. That's the whole thing about me. That's what I mean. I don't think about it. I just believe God. God, if you open the door, you must want me to do it. And if you open the door for me to go through it, you must equip me to do it. Amen. I'm not, I'm not knocking down, beating down the door by my own. You must have done it. So, God, you're going to make it happen. I just get back to I'm just going to be a spectator. Are you doing all right? All right. So start with being made whole, healed, and clothed, and in your right mind. Bill, you come back to the keyboard. And sitting in his presence. All I need to do. Is there any area in your life tonight that's broken, that just is discouraging you, talking to you, any place, the enemy 
is being able to hang on to a foothold of discouragement or restriction, confinement in your life, holding you back, keeping you back from believing that God would do great things through your life. Come on, we'll take a moment. We'll just sit in His presence. Allow the Lord to liberate us tonight in these areas. So just be made whole. And then start walking in the boldness and confidence of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it amazing? Jesus says, hey, go tarry in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. And that power will enable you to be my witness. Amen. See, the power doesn't work until you act. The power doesn't work until you act. The power to be a witness doesn't flow until you begin to speak as a witness. But when you speak, the anointing comes upon you. Amen. And He empowers you to share Christ with others. Tell them what He's done for you. I put in your, your outline. Frustrate the H out of the devil. Amen. Refuse to be intimidated by his lies any longer. I want to encourage you. As we approach Easter and Resurrection Sunday, let's purpose to reach out and invite someone to come to church. Let's believe together for souls to be saved and added to the kingdom of God. And doing that by allowing the Lord to use us to reap the harvest. But it'll only happen if we're intentional about it. We have to be intentional in word and deed by our choices and our actions in our faith and our obedience. I want you to believe to see increase come into God's kingdom through your life. Increase. Souls to come into His kingdom. The kingdom of God increases every time a soul is saved. And God wants increase to flow through your life. He wants glorious living to be a part of your life. He set that design upon you. Just right where you're at right now.